Let's go ahead. I'm not ready to start, so let's go ahead and shake a couple of hands real quick. So stand up. Be friendly for a moment. Turn my music back on. Uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, and uh, Pastor Angelo and I were talking uh, about how to honor pastors, and we felt the best way to honor pastors was to honor those that serve with them, and so uh, this month, this is going to be Ministry Appreciation Month uh, for those who serve faithfully, and we appreciate them. Um, so we're going to begin with our Kids Life Volunteers. And I'm just going to read off a list of names. We, I have a lot of lists of names of people that are involved in, in Kids Life. And our Kids Life, uh, they're not stuck down there full time like every Sunday. Like they rotate every two weeks. And so there's, there's a large group that are serving in that ministry. This is our kindergarten through fifth grade, preteens, nursery, preschool, and check-ins. So uh, April Smith, Susie Jackson, Salvation Scott. I was going to call her Salvation Herd because I remember when she was Salvation Herd. I've been here that long. Uh, Julian Thomas, Kaylee Kelly, Cassie Wall, Kayla Cave, Angelo and Anya Showerman, Lindsay Martinez, April Lawman, Mike and Brittany Brim, Anthony and Katie Smith, uh, Kirsten Salmi, Michael Salmi, Sophia, Daniel, Myra, Lori, Laura, sorry, I always say Lori, Laura, Beatrick, Marlo Russell, Joni Jacobson, Kylie Horning, Abby Morgan, Krista and Daniel Jasper, Tess and Charlie Hall, the Bible says this in Proverbs 3.27, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is your power to do it. We should be honoring people who serve God, especially serving in children's ministry. Tough ministry to do. Galatians chapter 6.10 says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And Pastor Angelo wanted me to share one more verse, and then we'll get into the service. He said this, about this group he wanted them to hear these words because he believes it from his heart with the, he's been kind of helping manage it for us for a while while we wait for someone to lead it Matthew twenty five twenty three says and his master said to him well done good and faithful servant that's how we view those who serve in children's ministry and we want them to know they've done well and we appreciate the sacrifice and the service that they do every week and making sure the children are encouraged to, to know God and encouraged to trust God and encouraged to love God. And so you guys do a great job with that. They are over here. Um, we like having them up here with us because they're participating in worship with us and our, our teachers do a great job. So let's just, for all those that maybe are here or aren't here, let's just give them a hand real quick for what they do. It is, it is, it is difficult ministry um, because we only get an hour 
or to an hour and a half with your kids. And so we just appreciate that you bring them and we appreciate those who serve. So let's pray real quick. Father, you said, Jesus, to bring the little children unto you for such is the kingdom of God. And we want children to know and see you. We want them to understand how much love you have for them, how much passion you have for them, how much care you have for them. We want children to know that throughout their lives they can trust Jesus Christ. So encourage their hearts, continue to, to, to uh, open their eyes up to you. And Father, I pray for the, those that lead the, these ministries and teach these classes and love on these children um, from nursery on up that they see the blessing and the benefit of pouring their lives into the lives of children in the name of Jesus Christ. We love you so, and we thank you for this. In Jesus we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and worship. We're heaven's fun creation, His pride and adoration, treasures woven by His love. His careful hands, they hold us safe within His promise of calling and of destiny. We're heaven's fond creation, His pride and adoration, treasures woven by His love. His
Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Oh, Almighty Fortress, you go before. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. You shine in the shadow. You win every battle. Nothing can stand against.
Open wide, your fire falls down. Heaven and 
Good morning, everybody. Uh, please have a seat. I have a good amount of announcements and too much going on in my head. So I was, I was actually going to uh, speak uh, about chapters uh, 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. That would be just too lengthy. But I will read some of this. This is concerning our tithes and offerings. So Paul says to the church in Corinth, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person, per, not each Persian, <laughs> not just them, each person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Wait, sorry. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. Amen. Um, these two chapters are really cool. The Apostle Paul is talking about, uh, he's encouraging the church in Corinth to proceed with their uh, collection, their gift that they have uh, already promised. And it's pretty cool how God takes Paul to kind of a stern letter, and also Paul is assembling people to go there and help them beforehand so that they will not be shamed uh, if the church in Macedonia shows up and they're empty-handed. So it just shows that God working in this physical world, not just turning your heart, but sending helpers for you to keep your word and to um, achieve the vow that you've already made. So um, we truly are not without help. God is working through each one of us to help us really be rich in that currency of the characters of Christ, which is what we will reap uh, exceedingly. It won't exactly be money. So if you're sowing a lot of money, you're not going to get I'm not, I'm not saying you're going to get rich. I'm going to say that God's going to impart on you uh, beautiful characteristics of uh, sacrificial giving, uh, patience, um, understanding, things that are of true value. Let me pray for our tithes and offerings. Lord, thank you for letting us partner with you in supporting the ministries. Father, um, each tug on our heart and each helper that you provide, just thank you. Give us ears that will listen, eyes that will see, to see that uh, your will is not just for building up one side over the other or that um, it's not just for even money to be moved around uh, in a fashion to keep things floating. You are a Lord of abundance. You are a Father who gives freely and with joy, cheerfully. Lord, we do not feel the compulsion. And if we do, we'll hold back. Lord, we want to give cheerfully 
with much love and joy to see what you will do. We love you. Please bless these tithes and offerings. In the name of our King Jesus, amen. Don't start the music. I, I have sticky notes. I have a couple announcements. Uh, do I just keep talking? This might change my tone with the ethereal background. I have a couple announcements, everybody. Uh, Rooted is uh, going to start this week, Tuesdays at 6. Um, you can sign up at the info desk. I'll be there today. Uh, and you can sign up with me, or you can go online to newlifeastoria.com and, uh, and sign up there. But it will happen Tuesday. Uh, but if nobody signs up, then it will not happen. Uh, but not to fret, uh, in January, uh, we will hold another uh, Rooted class. So I know falls are busy. But, um, so yeah, come talk to me if you have any questions about it. It's our Living the Rhythms of a Christian Life, 10-week course. Um, we have, starting this Wednesday, October 4th, uh, we have uh, a men's study. Pastor Andy's put it on at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. Show up here, 6 a.m. or 6 p.m., gather with the men, Study God's word. It's going to be good. We'll be doing that each week, Wednesday mornings and evenings. And just to drop in your head for the future, uh, November 6th, Monday night, will be uh, a men's gathering. It'll be at 6 p.m. here at the church. We're not selling tickets yet, but it'll be $10 each. Guys getting together. We're going to eat. Uh, here's some good word worship. It'll be great. So put that in your calendars for November 6th. Okay. Thank you for your time. Please rise. Let's worship God.
What sacrifice was made as the heavens roar? All hail, King Jesus! All hail, the Lord of heaven and earth! All hail, King Jesus! There was a moment when the sky lit up A flash of light was breaking through When all was lost, he crossed eternity The king of life is on the moon The dark and cold tomb where our Lord was laid One miraculous breath And we're forever changed You may be seated. Let's go ahead and dismiss the kids at this time. Thanks, guys. You've been great this morning. Don't feed them sugar. We've been in a series for a while and felt like God was changing it. We're going to go back into it and out of Isaiah, but 
it got a little heavy, and uh, maybe it wasn't you guys, maybe it was just heavy for me. I felt like just there was a lot of pushback, not from people, but just spiritually. So I was fighting that, and I just felt like God was saying, just give it a break for a little bit. Just, just do something about Jesus. Whenever you feel pushback from evil, just go to Jesus, right? Just put him in mind and put him in front of you. And So we're going to do a short series on um, just, well, I asked a couple of newer couples, newer believing couples, uh, what they wanted me to preach, and they, they kind of came up with the same thing. But I'm not going to do what they told me to do because they're new at this. So I'm just going to. They they all said they wanted something on John 14 and 15 and 16, which is great truth to be preached. It is talks about heaven and it talks about the Holy Spirit and it talks about Jesus praying for his disciples. And all those are great things. But when I was preparing for it, I always read way before and then way after. And I got to chapter 13. And uh, I thought to myself, if you don't know chapter 13, you, you can't know heaven. If you don't know chapter 13, you can't really understand the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus has a teaching that we're going to go through today that I think will encourage you, I hope. It has to me. Um, but that's where we're going to start. Um, and so if we're, I'm not sure we're going to John 14 next week because I'm not going to guarantee that. We'll get there sometime, but it will be about Jesus. Is that okay? You know, let's let's uh, take a moment and pray. And I'm gonna. This was a. a, a you ever have one of those weeks where you just kind of fight, and you're fighting things that you can't see, but you just know you're fighting it. Uh, that's been me this week. So I need to bring the Lord into it. So let's pray. Father. You have been gracious with me this week. You have been loving. You have been kind. You've been compassionate. I know that your spirit has fought for me and at times even fought with me. But that is out of love for you. That I make sure that I'm listening to you. So help me today, Father, to take this week of struggle and bring a sweetness to people's ears. Open our hearts up to you today, Father. We need to hear from you, please. Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said. So turn, if you want, to John chapter 13. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to go to different verses, but I'm not going to actually read the verse. I'm just going to read a part of the verse that kind of jumped out at me, and then I'm going I'm to be talking about what that is that kind of jumped out. Um, but they're going to put the verses on the walls for you, so you guys can have um, that to read. But before I get there, have you ever noticed how when you begin something, you're more into it than you if you've been into it for a while? Like at 13 years old, I couldn't wait to run my dad's skitter. I couldn't wait to be a logger. And then by the end of that summer, I couldn't wait to stop being a logger. 
because it became work, right? At the beginning, it's like, I get to be a logger. And then it's like, I don't like being a logger. This is dirty and sweaty and nasty. I remember being newly married, and I would open the door of my car for my wife. Then it became work to walk around that side of the car, so <laughs> I stopped doing it. Come on now. I see the young couples doing it, and then, then they kind of shame me a little bit. But then I realized I don't, have to, I don't want to walk all the way over there. She's, a, she's an adult woman. She can open her own door. I'm not saying that's right. I'm just saying that's what happens. I remember when I was newly in church, I would do anything that was asked of me, even things that weren't asked of me. I'm not sure what that was about, but we're just going just gonna to move on. That part hasn't really changed a whole lot for me, but I know it does in people's lives. Like you get in and you just get all excited and you, you want to be a part of everything and then, then you'll be a part of just what you want to be a part of. And that's, that's not being mean, I'm just saying that's true. And I think Jesus sees this about us. When the disciples were first asked to follow him, the Bible says that they left all and followed him. They just, like, they just dropped their nets and walked away from mom and dad and, and home and, and just started following Jesus. But three years later, which is what we're going to read today, three years later, so much had changed in their lives. It was a change that was important enough for Jesus to teach this lesson. And I think when... God sees something in us that we need to change. He's, he's paying attention. He wants to teach us to, to go back to where we were. I call it the first last thing. If you've got limited amount of time left, what would be the first of the last things that you would do? See, we always think that saying the, the last words are the most important. I don't think the last words are the most important. I think the first things you, 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 you talk about or think about or share or do when you know you've got last things, I think that's what's important because you have some time to think about what, what would be the most important thing for me to share. What would be the most important thing for me to let you know the first last thing. So open up your Bibles, John 13, if you want, or you can just watch the wall. And in verse 1, the Bible says this, Jesus knew that his hour had come. He'd been waiting for this moment his whole life, and now it was here. It was the purpose for him coming to earth. His public ministry was going to be over in 24 hours, and he was going to be hanging on a cross. And these were the last precious hours he was able to share these truths to where the disciples would understand it. The cross that Jesus was going to go on was the path that would lead him back to the Father in heaven. And so there's a couple of thoughts here that I just want to bring out. Have you ever wondered what your purpose is on this earth? Like if, if there was a a moment that showed up and you went, this is why God placed me here. This is 
the reason why God has brought me to this place, this moment, this time, this, these people, whatever it is. What is my purpose on earth? And could you recognize it if it came? And the second thought I had was, if you only had a few hours left, how would you spend it? What would be your first, last thing? If you knew you only had, say, 24 hours, what would be the first? I got to do this. Last. Because it's the only opportunity I'm going to have. Thing. See, I think this, what I'm going to teach you today, sets the tone for the rest of the book of John. Why are you here and what are you doing with what you have left? That's really what the tail end of the book of John is about for Jesus. Why are you here? And what are you doing with the time you have left? Some of you might say, well, I'm only 30 years old. Yeah, well, 30 goes fast. I'm 60. I was 30 just like a couple of minutes ago. Right? It seems like it goes fast. Some of you really old people like... You remember when you were kids. You can still remember. You have the memory still. Some of you have lost that ability. So you s- Why are you here and what are you doing with what you have left? Second part of verse 1 says, Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. So the First last thing that he mentions is this amazing testimony of loving the people that he put in his life, that God put in his life. He loved the disciples that God gave them, and he loved them to the end. Now, you can twist this any way you want, but really, that was his church. He loved his church. And the testimony that he has, the first last thing that is mentioned is that he had this love for his church. He loved Peter who was constantly saying stupid things. You know that person in church? That might be you. He loved Thomas who was constantly questioning everything. You ever have that person in your life that like they question everything you do and everything you say? He loved John who loved Jesus. And it's easy to love people who love you. So that's what he did. He loved James because James was so mature. It's just nice to be around mature people sometimes. It's really sad when it's the kids that are more mature than the adults, but sometimes. He loved Judas, even though Judas was going to betray him. He loved Judas. Jesus teaches in another place that it's easy to love those who love you back, but try loving those that that are hard to love. That's what loving the church is. Sometimes you've got to love the people that are really hard to love. And sometimes people are really hard to love. Especially the ones that betray you. Ephesians 5 tells us that Jesus loved the church so much that he gave his life up for her. He specifically mentions the church. One of the first last things Jesus talked about was his love of the church. There's a lady by the name of, she's in heaven now, but her name was Manghild. And Manghild was a member of this church. I think she started in 1976. Well, there was, she got off the boat with Noah. And then she joined this church. And then she was there in 76. I didn't meet her till 92 when I started. And 92 seems like a long time ago. 
And she was one of my favorite uh, people to pastor because she loved her church. And up to just a few days before she passed away, when I talked to her, she wanted to make sure that I knew that she loved New Life. She, and she hadn't been here for three years because of COVID. And, and, uh, and yet she loved her church. One of the first last things that Jesus mentions, that's mentioned about Jesus, is he loved his church. Verse 2. We'll skip to verse 2. Speaking of Judas, when the devil had already put it into the heart. When the devil had already put it into the heart. So the devil had put it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. And I thought about that. Imagine for a moment sitting next to somebody. Maybe you're sitting next to that person now and you think they're into the things of God the way that you are into the things of God. You think they love Jesus like you do, but that's not what's true. You're sitting next to somebody that you believe, this person loves God. We just went through worship together and we just prayed together. And you think in your heart that they love Jesus the same way, but they don't. You have no idea that Satan's been looking for somebody to betray Jesus and been cultivating this sin in a person's heart for a long time. Is it just me or do people ever surprise you? You know, they portray themselves to be something, and I'm not saying they're bad for doing it, I'm just saying they portray themselves to be something, and then you find out later they're not even close to the person that they claim to be. You think you know what's in a person's heart, and then they show their true selves. One of the last, first last things Jesus mentioned was Satan entering into the heart of Judas. Could you imagine this being the thing that God mentions about you? That the first last thing he mentions is Satan entered your heart. Verse 2. Put it in his heart to betray him, to betray Jesus. Jesus was, Judas was going to expose Jesus as a fraud. If Judas believed that Jesus was the Son of God, he never would have betrayed him, but he believed that Jesus wasn't the Son of God, so he changed his mind about him. And I thought about this. These are just kind of free-range thoughts. Have you noticed how the culture loves to expose people? American culture loves to expose people's faults. Children expose their parents' fault. And every time they do, the children are believed. Now, if you haven't had that happen with your child, give it time. Your child at some point in time will blame you for all of the problems that are involved in their life. That you screwed them up, that you messed them up. Now, even the ones you don't think will do that, do that. So you better start having conversations with your kids now because someone's going to believe what they say about how bad of a parent you were. If you discipline your children in any way, shape, or form, they're going to tell them, you're, you're just being stern with them, and they're going to say you're yelling at them. So they're going to go to school and say, yeah, my dad yells at me all the time. No, he's just being stern. But you didn't like what he was saying, so you used yelling. And so the school will just say, fine, let's take you out of the home because it's not safe for you. It's the, our world loves that. I'm amazed at how couples love to expose their spouse's faults. And they're believed. 
Like we say, my, I, I've heard so many people say, my spouse is this or my spouse is that. And then you talk to the spouse and they say, no, what are they, where are they getting that from? Or you watch that person, it's like, that's not who that person is. But because the spouse says it, it must be true. We, we love to expose that. I, this gets more positive as it goes on. Christians love to expose the church's faults and they're believed. I'm amazed at how many people will blame the church for whatever, whatever, whatever. And people believe what they say. I, I've said this numerous times and I believe this more at my age and more of my years of ministry than ever before. If you're the devil or if, or if I'm the devil and I want to destroy Christianity, I do two things. I screw up the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and I make people be negative about the church. Jesus said the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, meaning that the gates of hell are going to be trying to prevail against the church. And I'm amazed at the number of people who claim to be believers betray Jesus by trying to expose the faults of whatever. And, and, and you believe what they say. 1 Peter 4, 8, Peter said this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10, 12, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. How different would your home be if love just covered, like... Because the truth is, some of you as parents have messed up your kids. You've done some stupid things. What you need from your child is to love you to cover that offense. I, I get sometimes as a spouse, you're not the spouse you're supposed to be. Maybe I should be opening the door for my wife more often. Instead of being like, and if you've been around me, you know that my wife will stand there and talk to somebody outside of a restaurant and I'm walking, I'm, I'll walk away from her. I'll just, maybe I should. But I need her to forgive me when I walk away. Because love covers offenses. And your church is going to not be perfect because we're filled with messed up people and you're pastored by messed up people. Except for Mark. He's, he's, he's good. But what needs to be happening is we should be forgiving one another and, and, and recognizing that that's part of Christianity. Is to love them enough to cover their faults. But we would rather expose their faults. We want people to know all the wrong. So I broke this into summaries. So I got three summaries with all these other points. Jesus knew his time had come to fulfill a purpose. And he left the testimony that he loved the church. And knowing the devil had put it in Judas' heart to expose them falsely, and with little more than 24 hours left to go before he experienced the most painful thing he could imagine, the cross. He does something that seems random. And as John chapter 13, verse 3 through 6, which we're not going to put on the wall, I'm just going to read it, read kind of my summary of what, what this moment looked like. So he's, he, he's getting ready. He's got the last, first, or first, last things that he's doing. And this is the first lesson that he gives in the first last thing. Jesus gets up from supper and he lays aside his outer garments and he grabs a towel and he wraps it around him. 
He pours water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, wiping them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What you need to notice is that the typical arrangement for eating in that day was they would have a low table. It's about a foot off the ground, they say, from what I've read. And you would lay on your left side and eat with your right hand. And you would kind of stagger yourself around this table. Everybody laying on their left side with eating with the right hand. But that means that your feet were close to the person behind you. Now, these people in this day wore sandals wherever they went. And they, walked, they didn't have paved roads. They didn't have rock. They had dirt. And it was hot in Israel. It's not like Oregon where you get your feet washed if you wash, walk outside with flip-flops on. And so their feet were dirty and nasty, and they probably, just because of the nature of having animals be your cars, probably had some manure. I was raised on a dairy farm. I had lots of manure on my feet, my arms, my legs, my face, my hair. And so what would happen is you would come to somebody's house to eat dinner, and the lowest servant or the lowest person there would wash the feet of of the, of the people that were assembled so that you didn't have to list, smell somebody's stinky feet be, beside you. Now, I call it face to foot, and I don't think that was the actual picture, but just imagine for a moment you have your face to somebody's foot and they're not washed. Kind of ruins the meal. But none of the disciples decided to wash the disciples' feet. Things changed quite a bit in the first three years. Because when they first started following Jesus, I'll guarantee you everyone would have jumped up to wash the feet of the disciples. Uh, when they were new to this Jesus thing, it was like really easy to get somebody to make sure they washed the feet of the disciples. But now they're like, it's three years into it. Nah, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. We're just going to wait till somebody. Yeah, have you ever been around that person? You watch them and they're waiting for somebody else to do something that's right in front of them for, to do. That's what Jesus was looking at. And Peter begins to be convicted by Jesus washing his feet. And he asks the question, why are you washing my feet? And Jesus replies in verse 7, what I'm doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. I know you don't get what I'm doing now, but you will get it afterwards. What he was teaching them was the idea of the cross. That it was a place of humility, difficulty, and death to self. If you're washing somebody's feet... Somebody's stinky, nasty feet. If you're, and it's a whole herd of them that you're washing. It's a place of humility because nobody wants to, that's, that's not a place of pride. It's difficult because washing somebody else's foot would be, it'd be, it's just creepy. And you would have to die to self to do it. You, could, you would have to say, it's not about me. That's what the cross was. It was a place of humility, difficulty, and death to self. It's doing things nobody else wants to do. And when you're first a believer, or when you're first married, or when you're a kid, you do all those things naturally. You just do what nobody else wants to do. You know it's difficult, but you do it anyway because there's kind of an honor in doing that. But it's not about you. 
Now, they wouldn't understand it at first, but it would become very clear in the coming years that this is kind of a picture of what Christianity was like. That Christianity is about humility, doing difficult things, and dying to yourself. And I wonder how often God is doing what we don't understand now, but down the road we can see through the suffering and the difficulties and the turmoil and the trial and the, and the, and the hard work why he had us doing what he's doing. Maybe you're in the middle of something right now and it's like this is just a dirty experience. This is just hard. It's humiliating. It's kind of humbling. And you're saying, why has God got me going through this? Why am I suffering this way? See, he says we may not understand the trials of our faith, but the purpose is always to produce something better in our lives. The hard things, the cross, the picking up our cross and following him is hard to do. But it purifies us. It makes us better. What if the first last thing that Jesus does in your life is the last best thing that ever happens to you? Because could you imagine if you were the disciple that show, when, when you showed up there, you started washing their feet and Jesus said, no, stop doing that. I've got an illustration I've got to do, but you just screwed it up. Verse 8, he says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. First last thing Jesus does is talks about if he doesn't wash you, you're not mine. You don't belong to me. If, you, if you're not cleansed by me, you don't belong to me. And I'm, I'm learning something as a pastor, especially the older I get and the more I go through. Humility is the greatest sign of spirituality. The greatest sign of somebody who is spiritual is that they're humble. Isaiah 66.2 says, All these things my hand has made so that all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one of whom I will look, to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. See, when you humble yourself, you, belong, you show that you belong to him. And this is who Jesus is looking for. He's looking for the humble. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now Peter gets a little embarrassed again. Peter, I love Peter because he's so much like me. And he seeks to save face by saying, you'll never serve me this way. You'll, you'll never wash me. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you're not mine. So then Peter says again, so he tries to fix it because we always try to fix his stupid statements. Wash all of me. And Jesus says, no, you don't need to be all washed. You just need to have your feet washed. Why? Which is verse 10, except for his feet. And I studied this out quite a bit. And the idea of the, the feet is it's a picture of our heart. Our heart is the most well-used part of the body, constantly in the dirt, covered in mud and manure. 
It's deceitfully wicked and the source of all sin. It's not the arms that need to be washed from sin, it's the heart. Jesus says it's the heart where sin comes from, not the words that you say. It's from here. This needs to be washed. And I wonder if we examined ourselves. If, if, if like we had 24 hours left to go, would the first last thing be that we would check our hearts? David said in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. I wonder, is our heart clean today? And then he says something in verse 10 that freaks me out a little bit. He says, but not every one of you is clean. Not everyone sitting at the table is clean. And, and I just want to say this. If you knew you had 24 hours before you left this earth, and the purpose of the earth, your purpose on this earth was complete, Wouldn't one of your first last things be to make sure that you get things right with God? Like if you knew you only had 24 hours left to go, wouldn't you want to make sure that your heart was right with God? Now since you don't know whether you're going to make it for another 24 hours or not, shouldn't you get your heart right with God now? I mean, you say, well, I, I'm, I'm not planning on dying right now. Well, I'm not planning on dying right now either, but I, I'm, it could happen in 24 hours. I don't want to get up there and say, oh, man, I had the opportunity to repent of that. I had the opportunity to confess that. I had the opportunity to get that right. And wouldn't you make sure everyone around you would know that they needed to know Jesus too? See, it amazes me how we don't share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people because we think we've got time. And then they die and you go, oops, well, Missed that opportunity. Well, if we believe what the scripture teaches, that people without Christ die and go to a place called hell and they spend eternity there. Say, so, well, I don't you see crying. That makes sense. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you had 24 hours left to go, would you not make sure that everyone that was in your circle would know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Would you not make sure that they knew Christ? Even if they weren't going to die, but you were going to die in 24 hours, you would want to make sure, I wouldn't want to leave this earth without knowing for sure what they know about Jesus. Is their heart clean? Verse 11 says, For he knew who would betray him. Jesus knows who's his and who's not. I think that's powerful. He knew who's saved and he knows who's not. In verse 12 he says these words, Do you understand what I've done to you? It's not easy to understand what Jesus is doing all the time. You don't understand why he brought you to church today to listen to this sermon. Well, this doesn't apply to me. I don't agree with that. I think he knows some things about you. And 
And my suggestion is if you're going through something right now and you, and you know Jesus is trying to teach you something, why don't you just stop and pray and say, Jesus, make it clear to me. I need to understand what's going on. Because he wants you to, he wants you to understand what, what you're going through so that you can be strong in the faith, not weak. Summary two. Jesus knew his time had come to fulfill his purpose. He left the testimony that he loved his church. He knew that the devil had put it in Judas's heart to expose him falsely. He had 24 hours left to go before he, the most horrific experience of his life. And he did the first last thing. He washed their feet. He said, if you won't go through it, you don't belong to him. He said, only the dirty parts need to be cleansed, the heart. Not every one of you will be born again because he knew who was. And he wants you to understand the importance of this lesson. Do you understand? And in verse 14, one of the first last things he says, which I think is the true first last thing, if I then wash their feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. One of the first last things Jesus teaches his disciples is something that he didn't have to teach them when they started, but they had obviously lost something in the last three years. Where they could come in and sit down and not care whether they took care of one another and they wouldn't do the dirty work. He says, if I've done this, then you ought to do that. Jesus had an expectation that his disciples would be just like him. Jesus, could you just imagine for a moment, Jesus washing the feet around you and your feet when you know that you should have done that. You, you would watch him and go, oh, oh, that should be me. See, you're not greater than Jesus, so if Jesus did it, it should be a mark of those that follow Jesus. Since we're not greater than him, we should be doing the things that he does. Whoops, I got ahead of myself. He said, I've given you an example in verse 15. I love that Jesus gives us an illustration of what we should be doing. A servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 16. See, the principle of humility is you're not more important than you really are. We tend to think ourselves higher than, than to wash somebody else's feet. We shouldn't have to wash somebody's feet. We shouldn't have to wash the feet of our parents. We shouldn't have to wash the feet of our spouse. We shouldn't have to wash the feet of members in the church. We shouldn't have to do those things because we're better than that. But Jesus is trying to show a picture of humility. To Jesus, humility was the first last thing he wanted to teach his disciples. And verse 17 says, if you know, you do. If you know this, if you know that you're not, you're supposed to be humble, then you should do humility. Jesus was humble. He walked away. He left heaven to come down to earth to give his life a ransom for our sinful selves. 
We're not greater than him, but we should be like him. If you know Jesus that he, and you know he came to serve, then you should do like him. And are we seeing that in our Christian lives? Are we serving our spouses? Are we serving our parents? Are we serving our kids? Are we serving our community? Are we serving our church? Are we humbling ourselves, not making life all about us, and serving other people? In verse 18, he says, I'm not speaking to all of you. Judas was so full of pride and so full of Satan that he so full of self that he couldn't have heard the gospel, but Jesus try, was trying to get him to hear it. But he said, I'm not speaking to all of you. Some of you don't want to hear what Jesus is saying at the first last thing. You don't want to do what he's asking you to do. He wants you to humble yourself, but we don't want to humble ourselves because we think we're more important than we really are. We won't serve others because it's dirty and it's hard and it's difficult. We won't serve our families, we won't serve our faith. And he's very descriptive of who it is. In verse 18 he says, it's he who ate my bread that lifted his heel against me. I think it's funny, and this I, I get questioned about this a lot. I'm kind of hard on Christians. As a pastor, I, I have higher expectations for Christianity than what we're experiencing, what we're receiving. But Jesus says, it's he who ate my bread. Who is it? Who is it, Jesus, that you're talking about? Who are you trying to send this message to? It's the one who's been in church their whole life. And knew when they were new to this thing that they should be humble and they should be serving other people. But they've lost that in their lives because now it's become about them and about theirs. It's those who might claim to be a disciple. It's Judas. Judas was, they thought, they didn't even know it was Judas because he was such a great Christian. He was the treasurer of the church. It's he who ate my bread with me. It's not some stranger. It's not somebody in the world. It's not somebody from the outside. It was somebody that was in his inner circle. Who's walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus. See, the first last thing I believe Jesus hoped for was that Judas would repent. But Jesus also knew what was in him, Satan. So Jesus closes with this statement in verse 19, and we'll all be happy here in just a minute. I'm telling you this now, before the cross takes place, that when it happens, you may believe that I am he. Jesus said, that the evidence of him being Jesus was that he was a humble servant and you should believe his works. How do we know somebody's a, 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 a true Christian, a follower of Jesus? Because they're a humble servant. I can believe, it's not your Bible knowledge, it's not your ability to speak, it's not your perfect ways you're doing things, it's whether you're a humble servant of God. Jesus knew his time had come to fulfill his purpose. He left the testimony that he loved the church. He knew that the devil had put it in Judas's heart to expose him falsely. 
And he had a little over 24 hours left before he experienced the most horrific thing he's ever experienced, the cross. He was trying to teach the disciples that the first last thing he wanted them to know was that, that, that he wanted them to know that. He said that if you won't go through it, you don't belong to him. He said, clean the dirty parts, do the difficult things, don't make it about you. And he wants you to understand the importance of this lesson. He wants you to understand the value of two things, humility and serving one another. Christians should be known as being humble servants of other people. The first, last thing Jesus says, the thing that he says, I've only got 24 hours left to go, the first thing I need to tell him so that I don't miss out, so that I don't run out of time, is to be a humble servant of God. These are the signs of the true Christian, not their knowledge, not their power, not their gifting. Are they humble servants of God? In verse 21, the Bible says this, it's, it's important. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Jesus was troubled in his spirit. So get this, he taught the first last thing. He wasn't troubled in his spirit yet because of the cross. He was troubled in his spirit because he's trying to teach something to the believers in the room. He was trying to teach Judas that you, you need to repent. You need to humble yourself and start serving other people instead of serving yourself, which he sold his soul for 30 pieces of silver or gold or whatever. I don't remember what it was. I wonder if Jesus is troubled in spirit right now when he thinks of you or me. I wrestled with this all week long. Does my tr pride trouble him? Does my selfishness trouble him? Does it bother him when I think it's all about me? And I was wrestling with that all week. I was making everything that happened this week, it was about me. And he was saying, it's not about you. Yes, it is. It's not about you. Serve other people. No, 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 I don't want to serve other people. They need to serve me. Come on, honey, make some dinner. She asked for pizza last night. I made her make me a sandwich. She's a better servant than I am. I wonder if it troubles Jesus where you're at right now. And he goes on in verse 21. He says, one of you will betray me. Just think about hearing those words from Jesus, sitting at table with him and having him say, one of you will betray me. And I, I can say this with assurance because I've been in church my whole life. One of you will betray him this week. You'll deny him. You'll blame him. In verse 22, the, the, verse, the part of the verse that sticks out is, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spake. Because I believe in every church service, there's people that are sitting here looking around going, well, he's not talking about me. How do you know he's not talking about you? Are you as humble as you should be? Are you willing to do the dirty work? Is 
if you came in the room and there were people with dirty feet, would you seriously humble yourself and serve them? The disciples looked at one another and said, I don't know, who's, who's he talking about? It can't be me. Peter was going to deny Jesus three times. Thomas was going to doubt Jesus. Judas was going to betray Jesus. How different would those three lives have turned out if they would just would have humbled themselves and realized, it, Peter would have said, yeah, I know Jesus. Kill me if you want to. My life isn't mine. My life belongs to Jesus. What if Thomas, instead of doubting, just believed the testimony of the disciples and said, we've seen Jesus. Instead of being the, the butt of all jokes about people who doubt and question God. I won't believe Jesus is alive until I see it for myself. Well, none of us were there when he died 2,000 years ago. But that still doesn't mean he didn't die 2,000 years ago to pay for our sins. The first, last thing that Jesus taught before he went to the cross was the power of humility in service. But he knew someone would not believe and would betray him, and it troubled him. Does it trouble you? Does it trouble you? See, because to some of you, this doesn't bother you at all. And that makes me worried. It, maybe you're that humble. But I've learned this even about being a humble, as, as a humble person. I'm still convicted of sin when, I, when I'm confronted with it. The first, last thing Jesus taught was the power of humility in service. And we're looking around saying, I don't, he must be talking about Elsie. Must be Kendrick. It's got to be Kendrick. He couldn't be talking to me. See, I listened to a preacher this morning who made the statement. He said that, that I don't think this sermon is for everybody. And I've come to the conclusion that the word of God is for Everybody. And each one of us can take something away from something that's been preached from the Word of God. And the only people who don't are the people who are prideful, who think they've got it all figured out, and who want to be served, not don't want to serve. They don't want to do the dirty work. They don't want to do the hard work. Let's stand. Father, I don't believe we can understand the Holy Spirit if we're not coming to you in humility and a willingness to give our lives to you. I don't believe that we can understand heaven until we come to you with humility, recognizing that our sins will separate ourselves from you, and that without Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. 
How different would Christianity look? How different would the church look? If we washed each other's feet. How different would the world view us if we stopped trying to fault everybody, stopped trying to betray everybody, and just started to love one another? It should trouble us, Father, that you're so many years after we got saved that you're still bringing a message like this to us. Because this isn't the way we were when we first got saved, Father. It's not the way that I was when I first got saved. I would do anything for you. And I would do anything for your people. But I, over time, became prideful. Made it about me. I just waited for somebody else to wash the dirty feet. I don't like that my sin has troubled you. I don't like that it's bothered you. I don't like that you're... Wondering about me. I want to be the kind of person that you were. I want to give my life a ransom for many. I want to forgive those that have wronged me because you forgive those who have wronged you. I want to love those even though they haven't loved me back. Just the way that you loved me when I haven't loved you. I don't want my first last thing to be that I was selfish and prideful. I know you're troubled today. But I pray that repentance will bring you joy. Move your people to repentance with heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar's open. Let's make Jesus happy today. Bible promises that if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, He will lift us up. You could be lifted up today. Could you imagine just in that picture, Him lifting you up with joy just like that child with a parent who just loves that child and picks him up and throws him up in the air and just loves on him and encourages them. Like that could happen today to you. He could pick you up from that low spot, that spot of feeling bad and that spot of guilt, that place of shame. Lift you up to a place of honor. Don't be a Judas. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So just come to repentance. Repent of your pride. Repent of your selfishness. Of your arrogance.
the first last thing Jesus shared was that we need to be humble servants of the Most High God. Maybe you're not there. Maybe you're that new believer. You're still on fire for Jesus. You still love him. You still will do whatever he asks you to do. Don't lose that. Don't let somebody take that away from you. Don't watch Christians that aren't that way and think that's the way it's supposed to be. Don't be the Peter sitting at the table who feels guilty because you know you should be doing right, but you don't. Kids, serve your parents. Serve in your home. Do the things you don't even like to do, want to do, desire to do, but you do them because it's what the family needs you to do. Husbands, wives, serve one another like you did when you were dating. And if you didn't serve one another when you were dating, you never should have gotten married in the first place. Or at least repent of being selfish and self-centered that your marriage is not about just you. It's about two becoming one. And stop treating your church the way you're treating her. You need to humble yourself. You're not greater than the church. You're not greater than the church. You should be serving her. Even in the parts that you don't even want to do. Why? Because the church is his bride. Father, let the first last thing we do before we leave this place is thank you for your word. And then to be honoring it by obeying it. Because we don't know how much time we have left on this earth, Father. Let our first last thing be honoring you by humbling ourselves and serving others. We love you so and we're grateful that we get to gather together today. I pray that your word has made a difference in their lives. Father, I believe it's, it, it's changed me this week. Encourage us. We love you in Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, guys, thanks for coming today.